So those are the five components. So those are different to ones that I've heard in the past. And I, mm-hmm. I sort of referred to this idea of uh, the hero's journey and beginning, middle, end, you know, sort of uh, high school or middle school <laughs> English classes. Oh, you know, yeah. I think you should not start at the is, beginning you know? with stories, especially on social media and email. You should start in the middle or with some. Well, you should start with what the problem is, because what happens is if you give me two paragraphs of background about this person, but you don't explain to me what the problem is or why I'm caring, then I'm not going to read it. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Kev Kayat. And now that we're well into season four, you should have a look at the dozens of problems we've addressed in the back catalog on your favorite podcast provider or watch on my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Just a quick reminder, you are actually the nonprofit problem solver. My guests and I are trying to make your job a little bit easier by sharing practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This podcast was recorded live, as it's always been, and you're invited to join the live recordings every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. RSVP at nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me and lots of free resources at kevkaya.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Nonprofit Problem Solver has a dedicated Facebook group and a club on Clubhouse where you can ask questions and join discussions with an ever-growing group of nonprofit experts to get practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. If you've spent any time at all investigating how to do social media as a nonprofit, you'll soon come across Julia Campbell, who's been leading the charge for well over a dozen years with things like the Nonprofit Social Media Summit every November. Totally free and online, of course. She's taking time out today to share her guidance on storytelling, specifically on social media. Now, we all tell stories all the time, but how do you do it in a way that stops the scroll, that connects with your audience instantly? We talk a little bit about the various platforms, and then Julia explains her five building blocks for social media stories. And we consider ways to think about who the hero of our nonprofit stories really is. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. We're episode 53, and I am thrilled to have Julia Campbell with me, uh, with us for the next uh, sort of 45 minutes. Uh, hopefully you're watching live on LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube. You can throw a comment in, and we'll try and fold it into the show. Uh, and if you are watching at a later point in time, please also drop comments. Both Julia and I will be following them, and we will respond uh, accordingly. So let yes. me just... Uh, um, Thank my sponsors, Yachtme, the, the virtual events platform that is 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, who makes professional podcasting easy. Hmm. So there we are. Uh, Julia, how are you doing? I am great. It's a beautiful fall day here in Massachusetts, and yeah, everything is, everything's great. And I, I love October. It's my favorite month. It's the busiest month, but it's Halloween, which I love, too. Good. Excellent. So you've got lots and lots going on. Uh, tell everybody, like, well, I should say the 14 people who don't know who you are in the oh, no. world, <laughs> a bit about what you do and um, the, some of the programs you've got. And, and then you can tell us all also about your, your fun new podcast. Yay. Well, I am Julia Campbell. I am a nonprofit consultant and trainer. I do speaking, I do workshops and online courses and webinars, but my mission is to really help nonprofits navigate the digital world 
and tech overwhelm and social media marketing in particular and be able to convey their message, convey their story in a compelling way to actually drive donations using these tools rather than just kind of spinning their wheels. So that's what I do with my clients. Um, And I speak a lot on it. I talk, I've written two books on one on storytelling, one on social media, and I have a new podcast, like you said, um, Nonprofit Nation podcast. If you just go to nonprofitnationpodcast.com, you'll find the last, I think there's eight episodes. I should probably know that. Well, a new one just dropped today. Yes. And basically the, the theme of the podcast, I want to help. I want to do two things. One, I want to give tactical and practical information to nonprofits, to my audience um, that they can use. But also my second piece is I want to amplify voices that might not have been heard in the sector and really talk to new and innovative and kind of disruptive people. So the way I think about it is it's really me getting, it's sort of like what you do. It's like you just get to talk to cool people about what they do and have fun and have a great conversation and record it for everyone else to benefit from. So I've had a blast with this podcast. Um, I've, I'm, yeah. I can't believe I waited so long, to be totally honest. I, I'm surprised you waited so long, too. And I'm glad you finally uh, jumped into the fray. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the ones I've listened to have been fantastic. Oh, uh, so I think you're right. I, again, sort of practical and tactical is, is, the, is the name of the game. But I think that there's always a struggle, isn't there, between the the best practices, what's established, what's tried and tested, what people know works. And then, as you said, what what's happening at the fringes, at the margins, where are people mm-hmm. discovering new ways of doing things effectively? Right. And we want to get that news out. We want to yeah. share that as much as we can. Exactly. And I'm trying to I'm trying to really have people on that maybe my audience hasn't heard from. I want to get practitioners, not actual people working in nonprofits, a lot of my friends are consultants and I'm a consultant and no offense to consultants. Um, but we have a lot, we often get a lot of airtime. Like we have our platforms and we disseminate our opinions, but I do yeah. feel like that development director, that marketing director, or even that ED, they have really valuable things to share. And I want to be able to share that with my audience too. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So people can find you online where? What's the simplest way of finding aside from nonprofitnation.com? Did I get that right? Um, Nonprofit Nation Podcast. Oh, podcast.com. And funny story about that. I did try to buy nonprofitnation.com and the person who owned it wanted to sell it to me for like $25,000. And I said, you know, maybe in the future when it takes off, but not right now, I will be fine with nonprofitnationpodcast.com. But my website is jcsocialmarketing.com. And that's where you can find all my blog, my courses, my podcast. We have a summit coming up, the nonprofit social media summit. Um, you'll find information about that. That's November 2nd and 3rd, all virtual. Um, with Neon One and Give Panel are the sponsors of that. And mm-hmm. Tons of freebies. And I've been doing this for 12 years. So I've got 12 years of content on my site for people to sort through. (laughs) Yeah, I've sifted through some of it. That's for sure. (laughs) Okay. So we got a question now here, uh, which is how do I tell a story on 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 social media? And I'm sure you've got this question a million times. I've had it perhaps only half a million times. And uh, I just want to understand, I want to break this into a couple of parts first, just break it down. One is the social media side. Mm -hmm. And we use that term generically because there are different platforms. And I want to tease that out a little bit. Okay. And also then understand what we actually mean by story and then sort of bring those two together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when, when someone says social media to you, does it automatically register in your mind a particular platform or... Or do you try and you, you bring general ideas that apply to all platforms? Well, it's really interesting. We're talking about this this week, right? Because the congressional hearings um, on Facebook and Instagram practices 
um, the engagement algorithm, all of these terms that people might have heard, but are actually being really explained in really basic ways. Like I, if you have not been reading about Francis Hagen and the whistleblower at Facebook, read about it. Um, it's worth reading about. So scary stuff. It's pretty disturbing, not really surprising. But when I think of social media, I think of platforms that were created originally to connect friends and family. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn was created, obviously, for professional reasons to connect us with professional networks. But they are interactive and they're two way streets. So that's why I actually don't think YouTube is social media because it's a search engine. We don't go there to connect. I don't go there to connect with my college roommate. You know, I go there to find things. Instagram is actually becoming that way for people um, becoming a search engine as well. So they're really kind of amorphous, but what I think is so powerful is that social media, when you say it, people think, Oh, it's a tool. It's a trend. It's a fad. It's internet. I don't know. They could think of algorithms they think of, but it really is a revolution in the way human beings communicate. I mean, it's on par with the industrial revolution. It's changed the way we live. It's changed the way we live our lives. It's changed the way we talk. It's changed the way we search for information and express ourselves and our identities. So when people say to me, well, my board doesn't like social media, that's like saying my board doesn't like the telephone. (laughs) Okay, great. But uh, guess what? Everybody does like the telephone. So I think it, it really, it's, it can't be lumped into something and kind of put off to the side where people say, oh, we're just going to hire a social media intern, or we're just going to check it off our to-do list because it's, it's much more than that. I mean, it's really like a way of life um, for many of us, you know, good or bad. Think about when Facebook went down, what was that yesterday, two days ago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And everyone was kind of freaking out and WhatsApp, WhatsApp, People legitimately could not contact their relatives. A lot of people internationally rely on WhatsApp for their work, for their job, to communicate with friends and family, relatives, networks, colleagues. So we, you know, billions of people rely on these networks every day. So I, the view some people have that, you know, it's this thing of it's kind of over here when it's actually like the oxygen we breathe, it's like everywhere. And even if you do not use it, it influences everything that you probably do use. So it's definitely something we can't ignore. Yeah. Your audience is using it. I think it has, it has altered the way that uh, humans connect. Absolutely. Uh, That's that's undeniable. And I think uh, it's interesting when we, we think of, of, of social media, as you said, when it's lumped together and you combine the video search engine that YouTube is with the more interactive uh, Mm -hmm. types of platforms into one thing. uh, It it then sort of from an organizational perspective is, okay, that's how we communicate. That's how we connect. But my, my um, guess is that people often then forget about the two way nature of the platforms. I mean, are you, are you listening or Mm -hmm. are you just sharing in a one-way fashion. Mm -hmm. The future, I mean, really the present of social media is complete interaction with your audience and building up a following that would follow you kind of anywhere. I mean, if you look at TikTok, first of all, I don't think a single person that's on TikTok, if they're younger, would call it social media. You know, they would just say it was their favorite app. Like they they wouldn't even look at it in the same way that we look at it from that marketing perspective, that fundraising perspective. So they just look at it as entertainment, as fun, as a way to learn about new things and connect with people that they like celebrities and influencers and things like that. But if you look at the interaction on TikTok, like the biggest influencers, they constantly have to be shouting out their fans, hearting everything, replying to things like it's very two way street there. Um, as opposed to maybe Facebook, which isn't as two way. And I think we tend to use some of the older platforms and more established platforms as, like you said, kind of like a billboard where we're going to sort of put up our, hang up our shingle and say, come to our website, but we don't even expect or want people to communicate back to us. 
Yeah, and I and I think that's a it's an important point when we get to the idea of storytelling, because yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I've just got this impression that the the need to be storytelling or the advice around storytelling has just skyrocketed in the last twelve to eighteen months. Is that yeah. is that COVID or is it just people just understood that oh actually the way to do this is through stories? What's what's behind that growth? I believe that we are craving human connection more than ever trust in brands and institutions and actually trust in nonprofits and organizations is down across the board. We don't trust, we don't just don't trust a brand. We don't trust a logo. We don't trust an organization or an institution. And we're much more likely to connect with people. I mean, if you look at the way commercials are going like I'm just thinking I don't usually see commercials I have a Roku but um sometimes I, I see them I think on Hulu I don't even know but if you think about commercials you think about flow from progressive right it's a person you think about um the Verizon ad with Kristen with Kate McKinnon or there's like a person in all of those powerful ads the ones that you remember there's usually a person behind it it's not like some logo floating around. So we want to connect with people and the best way to connect with people is through story and storytelling, you know, (laughs) has become, it has become kind of a buzzword, but I think the, the point is that we just need to make our communications more human and centered around humans or animals. If you serve animals, you know, even if you work in the environment, the environment, you know, there are people that enjoy the trails, the parks, there are people that Mm -hmm. enjoy your programming. There are people that benefit from what you do, no matter what your mission is. If it's academic research, there are people on the other end that benefit from it. So making everything that we do more human. I also know social media has changed the game. Social media wants us to share stories. So they've conditioned us like Facebook, especially Instagram. It's conditioned us to share snippets of our life and then the the kind of content that gets the most reshares and comments and posts and engagement are other people's stories. So it's really the, the social media effect too, where we're all sharing about even just little tiny pieces of our day, even just these little moments that all kind of contribute to our, our bigger narrative. Well, they're even calling part of what you can post a story. You know, there's, there's, oh, there's yeah. sections of the platform called your story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instagram stories, everything has stories. I think LinkedIn got rid of its stories. Twitter had fleets. Those are the 24 hour disappearing little videos and photos that are supposed to be like your B reel. That's what I always tell people. They're like your B roll that you would leave probably on the cutting room floor if you were making a professional video. But that that kind of insight into your organization behind the scenes is really helpful. And also people love stories. I know that I spend more time in Instagram stories than I do on my feed. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's common. So this growth in the idea of storytelling and, and, and the growth in the advice to be storytelling hasn't actually changed. It's not because of a change in the way we're thinking about stories. It's just a recognition that that's the way to get a message across. Right. I mean, if you think about your memories and the things you remember or the best speaker you ever saw or your favorite TED talk, your favorite book, there's going to be a story involved in there there somewhere. So if you think about how the human brain works, first of all, we are hardwired to pay attention. So the second someone says, I want to tell you a story or, oh my gosh, I've got a great story for you. Or, oh, this happened to me today. Um, And think about it when you hear speakers, you know, you have to really pepper in what you're doing with little anecdotes and stories to keep people's attention because they don't just want to hear a bunch of statistics and um, a bunch of abstract ideas, abstract ideas. Exactly. So your brain, uh, you know, as a human, you're, you're hardwired to have your ears perk up. If you are hearing a story or seeing a story, your, your brain lights up and then you actually remember more of what is said. So you not only are you perking up and kind of paying attention, you are remembering more and you're actually listening and absorbing the information more. 
So, so the natural yeah. the natural reaction is that we are we get some sort of dopamine fire for actually a human connection that we can yeah. we can we can care about and remember as opposed yeah. to as you said numbers or ideas or the sort of abstract things that are not human. Yeah, that's where I think people get tripped up, especially on social media. You can post data and statistics that show that you're credible because in order for someone to give you money, we do have to think that you're credible. We also have to be convinced that the problem is something that's urgent and relevant and and worth paying attention to. So it's definitely fine to share, like say one in three children. This is, I'm making this up. Actually, I should know the statistic, but one in three children in Massachusetts is food insecure. Okay. That's fine to say, but if you're fundraising, that that's definitely not enough. You need to add that emotional element in um, because just give it like, we like to think we're rational people, but humans are not rational. We're like, you know, we're not rational people. We, um, we love to think that we are, and we love to think that we act with the rational side of our brains, but especially when it comes to money, we act with the emotional side of the brain. So I'm not saying you have to pull heartstrings and, make everyone depressed like the Sarah McLaughlin ASPCA arms of the angels ad, but you do have to make them feel something inspired, happy, proud, angry, provoked. I mean, you really, you just have to get them to feel something. So in addition, so I'm going to use that example um, of of just just as a generic statistic of one in three kids being food insecure. Uh, You said it's not enough. And is that because the statistic on its own is, light on the emotional content or because it is not situated within some sort of story type structure like beginning, middle, end and and those sorts of things? It's not enough because it it will make me think and I'll say, oh, wow, that really stinks. But that's also just me, by the way. There are some people that need this data so you can't eschew it. You can't just not have data and only tell stories because there really are people that do need the data. They do need to be convinced there's a problem. They need to be convinced of the solution. But I think together with a powerful story, so you're showing me that this is a problem. I need to pay attention to it. And then you're showing me some kind of impact or some kind of person that is actually experiencing this problem. And then you know, how can I help? Like, what can I do? Now you've got my attention. You've got my curiosity. I know this is a problem. I know there are people really suffering. And the reason why, I mean, we just, we, so many studies have shown humans can't process things like, you know, a hundred million Syrian refugees, like with the huge Syrian refugee crisis, the New York times did a huge fundraising study actually that was years ago, but they, you would think that saying your gift can help a hundred million refugees would be more compelling, but no, it's not. Of course it's not the one story of the one family that they told and their personal experience going through and leaving Syria um, and their experience in a refugee camp and settling and all of that. That was the most powerful fundraising driver because our brains can't process we can't process like homelessness ending homelessness we can't process ending poverty but we can process like helping one person get out of a dangerous situation or helping you know this um like a trans person find safety and shelter like we can't that we can process but when we talk about these problems we're solving if we rely on statistics it sometimes gets overwhelming and our brains oh, just oh, can't point, comprehend what it. You're saying, what you're saying then is sometimes this, if we if we use too much uh, reliance on data, which is big numbers, or we're trying to impress with scale, we lose that emotional connection because our brains are trying to connect to uh, an individualized or experience or story as opposed to a crowd or something more abstract. Yes. So you need you need all you do need all of these elements in your fundraising, though. You do need evidence that there's a problem and then you need that emotional hook and that emotional angle. And then you do and need a cause emotional action. hook. 
so you know we hear we hear a lot of subjective words about a yeah. good story. I think you moments ago said a powerful story. Yes. And those, that there's going to be some subjectivity to it. Yes. You know, what's powerful for me may not be powerful for you, and so on. Get oh, that. absolutely. But what we're really talking about is the emotional impact is what makes the story. It's not it's not the Hollywood happy ending. It's the it's the emotional it's the emotional impact that it has the the effect it's got on the listener. And yes. I'm guessing, particularly with in our field of nonprofits, we're not sharing stories about happy endings. We're sharing stories about about problems that we want to create happy endings. We yeah, I, any any story you tell should be authentic to your organization, you know, and I think ethical storytelling is another entirely different topic that we could go off on. But the way you structure your story when you're communicating, when you're doing marketing or fundraising, you don't say Julia was hungry, she came to our food bank, she got a bag of groceries and she went home. That's not a story. That's just telling me what happened. That's like a recounting of something that happened. That's not a story. A story has to have several different building blocks. And I even wrote them down so I wouldn't forget. Okay. It has oh, to have. Right. Here it we has go. Everybody listen up. Here we go. The building blocks. So there's five building Campbell. blocks of a captivating story. And you honestly can do this on social yes. media. You can have all five. I promise you. I've got examples. So you have to have a hook. That could be a photo. Something that catches my eye, catches my attention. It could be a video. It could it could be just a great headline. You know, so that's using. And I'm yep. sorry about interjecting here, but mm-hmm. that, that's using the the facility of the social media that gives yes. you these something you can see, read, hear, and using those uh, in combination to get yep. these five building blocks. Exactly. And the second yep. building block is a relatable character. So it's someone that we care about. Someone that we are interested in. Um, and like you just said, Kev, that is subjective. The character is subjective because I really personally care a lot about foster kids, right? I care about LGBTQIA youth. I care about, you know, some people don't, then that's fine. So that message isn't for them, but the character is very, very important. It's going to speak to your audience and it's going to speak to the, you know, it's going to speak to their passions, their interests, and, you know, what really excites them and interests them. Then the third piece, you have to have stakes. So there has to be something that happens. If you just think of like Pixar, think of, you know, um, think of Star Wars, think of all the famous narratives that we are used to hearing. There there has to be stakes. I mean, it can't, I can't. It's not a hero's journey if there's no, there's nothing for the hero to do. Yeah. I mean, or there's nothing for me to think, oh, that I want to know more or, oh, I want, I hope this person gets out of this problem or I, I don't know. There has to be a conflict. There has to be stakes. And then so is that, the, can we use yeah. the term uh, a, a significant problem to, to solve yeah, there a conflict? Needs to be a problem. Is that stakes? Is that, and when you say stakes, you mean that it's got to have some level of There has to be a reason that I care. Right. There has to be a reason that I care. Like this, there's person or this animal or this piece of land or whatever it is, it's experiencing something that I want to stop. So there it's the problem. Basically the problem I'm trying to solve is really the difference between I can't find something to watch on Netflix versus I can't find something to eat. Exactly. No, totally. And then the fourth piece, descriptive details. This is what really separates the best stories from the sort of mediocre ones. If you have any kind of descriptive detail, like her hands were frozen or, I mean, I'm, I should know I should have more off the top of my head. Oh, I'm thinking of um, charity water does such a good job with the descriptive details around the people that they're helping her around, like how they're feeling. So not just saying Julia was hungry. She went and got some food, but saying, she was at the end of her rope. She just lost her job. Um, you know, it was freezing cold and she'd walked five miles to get to the food bank. Details that like flesh it out almost that really make it real um, and that make it compelling. So that's probably not the best example, but um, there are so many ways you can use those details, whether it's about what the person is feeling and experiencing or whether it's about um, what's going on in the room. Um, but of course you have to vet all of this 
with the subject yeah. of the story. I mean, that's just goes without saying. Um, and you really have to help them be an active part of the storytelling, of course, as well. Yeah. And then the fifth piece for us is the call to action. So you've got my attention. I'm emotionally curious. You piqued my interest. I'm convinced it's a problem. What do you want me to do now? Now, on social media, I always say this. You do not have to have a call to action because there are already calls to action embedded in social media. Like, comment, like, share. Yeah, like, you comment, You do not share, have yeah. to say anything. Like, look at Humans of New York. They never have a call to action. They just tell a great story and have a quote and a photo and people like comment and share all the time. They never, I don't think they ever ask for a call to action. They might fundraise once in a while. You can have a call to action, but you do not have to have a fundraising call to action on every post. And in fact, I don't think that you should because right. I think that will fatigue people. Right. Okay. So those are the five components. So those are different to ones that I've heard in the past. And I, mm -hmm. I sort of referred to this idea of uh, the hero's journey and beginning, middle end, you know, sort of uh, high school or middle school <laughs> English classes. Oh, you know, yeah. I think you should not start at the is, beginning you know? with stories, especially on social media and email. You should start in the middle or with some well, you should start with what the problem is, because what happens is if you give me two paragraphs of background about this person, but you don't explain to me what the problem is or why I'm caring, then I'm not going to read it. So I, the most powerful emails, like if I'm copywriting or if I'm helping a client, I get a story. I usually interview somebody or they interview someone, we get all the details. And then we, we literally just start from this, usually the middle, right. um, because it's the most compelling. It's like, I was, out in the cold and I didn't know when my next you have to start with the problem and sort yes. of backfill the the character as you need to right because if you just it, it so that's technically kind of has a beginning middle and end but especially in online communications we don't have the time like maybe in your annual appeal letter if people read that it's two pages long you might have some time in an email on social media, you do not have the time. A blog post. And I think this is yeah. the real, this is the heart of the challenge is that let's assume that, uh, that a nonprofit in question is, is focused on a particular platform that they know well, they, or they're building up their audience on that yeah. platform. So that it's got the peculiarities of that platform. Choose right. any of them, doesn't matter. But then you want to actually deliver a story. Yep. And the, the components of the story you know, as you said, it's sort of, it sounds like a lot to get into uh, a, a message, you know, that know. someone's just scrolling past. I speed. promise you, I have examples. Like I, I am just thinking that there's um, an example from the best friends animal society that I'm thinking of. I always share it. So it's got that hook. It's got a compelling photo. It's a beautiful dog with like a cast on it. So it's not like a beat up dog that's bleeding, right? It's a, it's a dog that looks like it's been helped, but it's still wounded. And then it says, you know, Fiona came to us from a dog fighting ring or something that grabs my attention. That's the stakes right there, the character. And then it says, thankfully, we were able to nurse her back to health and um, help her get a happy home. I'm completely botching this. So if my friend Sue, who works at Best Friends, is watching this, um, <laughs> forgive me. She wrote it much more eloquently. Sorry, Sue. Sorry, Sue. And then... <laughs> Uh, I know she's a great copywriter too. And then it says, there are so many more animals like Fiona out there. Won't you consider donating $10 today? That is, that's a story in three sentences. I mean, that yeah. really is. Oh, there were some descriptive details. Like she was found battered and bruised and chained or something like that. And then, so it really did have all of it in just three sentences. Um, and I have seen that on social media. It's, oh, it's hard to do. It's for sure hard to do because we want to put everything in. We want to put everything yes. in. We want to put all the details, all the data, all the statistics, all the calls to action, all the everything. So I think the stripping it down and editing is really hard for nonprofits. I know that it's hard yeah. for us to do that. Yeah. It's hard for me to but do that's that. The, too. That seems to me the, the um, key thing is put it all out on paper and it may be a full page, but then you really want to, Chop it out to the absolute essentials. One um, technique I've I've seen people do is 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 every every sort of not every word but every element of it 
which could be part of the sentence is on a separate line. Oh. And they just start eliminating how many lines, you know, how many lines can we <laughs> get rid of? And it still makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's yep. surprising how much our brains as an audience fill in so mm-hmm. many of the details that you don't they actually do. need to stay. And also we just, we tell people too much. We tell people too much, especially in the beginning, right? We would, nonprofits would be terrible on a first date because we want to tell you about every one of our programs. (laughs) (laughs) We want to tell you about all the fantastic things that we do. And we want to ask you for 27 different calls to action. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and like us. And here's our cell number. And will you marry us? I mean, that's what we do when we should just be introducing ourselves. We should be saying, this is a fantastic story about what we do. Would you like to learn more? Get on our email list. Great. And then when you're on the email list, they can send you more things. Follow us on Instagram. Great. Then you can start to learn more. We just want so badly to be everything to everyone at all times that we end up watering down our message and really not appealing to anyone. Yeah, it's easy to it's easy to do and it's easy to talk about stakes. It's easy for us to put ourselves in the mind of a of a potential donor or supporter and think if we don't catch them this time, it's mm-hmm. over for good. And yeah. if we, 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 we want to tell them this. Them. We want to tell them that we well, got to put this case, program we in. We got to put this program in. This program needs a yeah. shout out. This one of these yeah. 27 things will resonate. Certainly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting, this idea of, uh, of, of, of listening and conducting, mm-hmm. a, uh, adding this story as part of a broader conversation. Mm-hmm. And just it being laser focused. Everything all in exactly. one. It can't, it can't do the heavy lifting all on its own. I no, and we have to start. I Now, I don't want to say dumbing down because that's not what I mean. But we do have to start making social media what we post so much simpler. So much simpler. Sim- yeah, and simplify. so much more emotionally compelling and visual and eye-catching because your 20-page research paper, it's not going to appeal to me on Facebook. It's just not. Like maybe in an email, maybe in a YouTube video explaining it. But when I go to Facebook, it's it's we want to see faces. We want to see landscapes. We want to be entertained. We want to be inspired. So save all that jargon and all that department speak save it for your linkedin company page and your newsletter yeah yeah no that's that's interesting would this idea of of more i guess little and often you know sprinkling your feed with with a series of stories and it sort of builds up and accumulates over time because that's really what it takes to engage an audience Mm -hmm. would you recommend or have you seen good examples of the idea of a story, but carried over, say, several posts rather than trying to squeeze everything all into one. Can nonprofits oh. use that sort of technique effectively? Absolutely. I've seen that technique used really effectively when talking about a series or a group of people. I do know that Charity Water repeats their stories or goes back and checks on people. So I know one particular story is Helen who I've been following with them for 10 years. And they, she's, she's one of their staple stories that they just, they go back to her all the time and they reuse content or they talk to her. I mean, that's, I think that's key. Like if you have a wonderful connection to a client or an alumni or a staff member, even that was a a member of your program or a client keep in touch with them. Like people want to hear updates because we know the story is not over. I don't care what the problem is. The story, their story is always continuing and people want to hear those updates. But I think, you know, around like giving Tuesday and around year end, a lot of people do a a story kind of series. So showcasing sort of various people that have benefited from the services or various groups of people that have benefited. And I think that works really well. I just, I keep going back to the humans of New York example, because you would think after how many years they've been running it, we would get sick of it. We do not get sick of it. I love 
that Instagram. And even during COVID, when they had to do it all on Zoom and they couldn't actually get those great yeah. shots of people like in New York City, it still was really compelling. So don't think that but by that time you, you, you didn't have enough stories. You know, you knew what to expect, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, I'm thinking, I just saw a fantastic story the other day. I want to say it's the multiple, multiple, multiple sclerosis. I don't know if it was association or society. I will find it. I will put it in the comments. I took a screenshot of it. And it was just a very simple quote from a person um, talking about how the association had changed their life and helped them connect and made them feel human and given them dignity and, you know, transportation and all of this, this fantastic stuff. It was just really heartfelt. Um, just a very, very simple story with a person's photo. And I thought, wow, that's what I want to see on social media. I real that's what I want to see. That's what people want to see. And then a, a, a life changed, a, a life, life improved, a life changed, you know, and even sometimes, sometimes, you know, most times the journey's not over. The journey's not over. And like you said before, not wrapped up in a happy bow. Um, and yeah. I know a lot of you, I can already hear you. I can hear you in my head saying, well, <laughs> we can't share faces and names of our clients on social media. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. If you have ever done a webinar with me or a training with me, I have a lot of examples of how to avoid that. I've worked in domestic violence. I've worked in rape crisis. I've worked with organizations that save people from sex trafficking rings. Like the, they do not have faces and names. I've actually worked with foster care agencies and they're minors. They don't have faces and names. There are compelling ways to do it. You just either tell it through the third party or you get some beautiful stock photography. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. we can't have a face, right? Or it's a staff member telling the story. Right. But there are a lot of ways that you can get creative. So don't let that stymie you right off the bat where you say, oh, well, I can't do this because we can't share names and faces. Um, I think you just need to get get creative with that. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there are ways there are ways around that. Um, one of the things I, I've, I've heard people struggle with um, is how to present. We talked about a life changed or a life improved. And the extent to which the nonprofit is the, the catalyst or the or responsible for that change. And this debate whether now you got to make sure that the person has done it with your help. The nonprofit is the facilitator and others saying, well, if the nonprofit looks like it's sort of just there at the side, you know, we, we, you know, in the viewer's mind, we've got to, we have to play a role. Otherwise, you know, we're not, we, we how can we take credit for the impact? You know, how, how do you handle that, that particular issue? So who's the hero in the story right. sometimes? Uh, I do definitely believe, I totally believe the client is the hero, but I know that there's a huge huge um, belief in fundraising that we have to make the donor the hero and constantly talk about the donor being the hero, which can sometimes be problematic um, in certain circumstances. So I would just really review, like, are you giving dignity and agency to the person that you're telling the story about? Do they look like they've are like a little puppy being rescued. Um, and would you be, would they be proud to share this story with others? So if the nonprofit is the facilitator of helping solve the problem, right? They don't save, they don't really save people. Right. They don't change people. They don't transform people, but they're on the forefront of helping solve this problem that the donor cares about. So the nonprofit is really like the middle person in all of this. You know, I'm, I can't go out and save rescued animals on my own, but I really care about it. So I'm going to give to this organization, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the hero. Um, so it's really complicated. There's so much talk about is the donor, the hero, definitely the organization is not the hero. They're sort of the guide. Yeah. They're the facilitator, but we do have to be careful of like tokenizing and otherizing um, the people that, we aim to serve when we're telling their stories. And if I, right. what it's I always tell my clients, if you feel icky, don't do it. If you, if you feel any, if you feel in your gut 
icky about what you're publishing, what you're posting, your appeal letter, your video, pull it until you feel good about it. Like you do not want to put something out in the world that you are not a hundred percent happy and proud of. Yeah. And again, I think it's a challenge for a lot of organizations. They want to say, we're really pleased with this outcome. Uh, look at this great work that we've done. Yeah. You know, please support us. But, and it's, again, it's, it's using the right sort of, uh, perspective of whose story yes. really is it? Are you talking, is it a story about your nonprofit or is it a story about the person that you, um, that has been through your programming or been through your services and has been able to make a change in his or her life? It's a different, well, different perspective on it. Yeah. So I, I follow this group called Amira, um, incorporated A-M-I-R-A-H and they have housing for, for women that have been in abusive relationships and actually been, in sex trafficking situations. I mean, pretty horrific stuff, but the stories they tell are always positive and uplifting, right? They share on social media, like a great example is the executive director will go on and say, we had a woman, let's call her Joanna. She came to us. She's now three years sober and getting her master's degree and like blah, blah, blah. So it's not saying all this is possible because of Amira. But they are the vehicle of the story and they're sharing this woman's amazing accomplishments with the world. So in that way, they become positioned as uh, not even the hero. They become positioned as the go to resource. They become positioned as the knowledgeable entity, you know, solving the problem that I care about. So that's the best way to position it. Like they would never say this is all possible because of Amira. They would just celebrate their client and celebrate her accomplishments. Um, and that's, they really make it like a partnership. You know, we're all partners yeah. in this together. We're all in this together. Yeah. I think it's, it's I think that that all sounds um, exactly right in terms of how you balance the, the sort of who's done what and, and so on. It, but I've seen so many stories where it's very clumsily handled oh. And, you know, you, you know, you sort of think mm, it, it's it's copywriting, I guess. It's not necessarily the, the details of the story. It's just the way it's presented over um, and, and, and trying to be clear about what emotional impact you're trying to make in the in the audience. Mm-hmm. It's just be being the vessel, being the communications vehicle for all of this amazing work that's going on. I mean, I think of nonprofits as telling the hard stories and the hard truths and lifting the veil on a lot of the little dirty secrets that society doesn't want to see. And I think it's our responsibility to celebrate our clients, to celebrate our accomplishments and their accomplishments and just show that we are the go-to resource on the problem and the cause. And then our donors will seek us out and say, Oh, I, you know, I'm heard a news story about food insecurity I want to look at my local food bank and see what they're doing. And then if you have all of this great, interesting, relevant content to show them, they're going to trust you. They're going to like you. And they're much more likely to build a long-term relationship with you. Yeah. And as you said, it, it takes time. It is about mm-hmm. audience building, not audience converting instantaneously. Uh, yeah. You know, there's so no take such the pressure, thing. Lower the stakes on any particular post or, or story. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. final thing I wanted to ask you is, again, given this growth and attention about storytelling, and obviously you were prompted yourself to to write to write a book on it, uh, would you say that all of, or you know, I guess here's the question, here's another way of putting it, what proportion of your communications to your audience, your donors, or your supporters, and so on, is storytelling or or is uses storytelling is it is it absolutely everything should all your things be really stories um with your with your data and other things just thrown thrown in where where appropriate or or is it really some lower proportion uh just delivered in particular contexts i believe it should be what your audience wants i think you need to test it out like i know that if you're an advocacy, you should be talking about current events and talking about the news and talking about data and statistics and action alerts. And that's what your audience is going to want. But if you are, if your audience is much more interested, I mean, they will, they'll tell you, right. So 
you'll be able to see your email open rates, your click through rates, your response rates. You, I, all of you, if you're in fundraising, you know, that one appeal letter that just kind of knocked it out of the park, right? So what was in that appeal letter, let's analyze what's working and let's do more of it. So I would never say it should be a hundred percent. I never want anyone to put all their eggs in one basket, but for human service organizations, people do want to hear the, they want to know that their donation is making some kind of impact on a problem that they care about. So whether that's the executive director getting on a video and saying, this is what you need to know this week about X, Y, Z. Here are some of our accomplishments. I think that's great too. So I think just as long as you're maintaining relevancy and mixing in that emotional content, you should be good, but your audience will, they'll tell you. What are your most liked posts, right? Commented right. posts, shared posts. I bet, I bet they're stories. Okay. So, so, but so we do have to occasionally tell the evidence about the of your, news. yeah. Right, right. So use the, the evidence of your engagement to determine uh, what proportion of your output, yeah. what your communications is, is, is story-based. Yeah, okay, yeah. great advice. Uh, we've had a comment in... Uh, which is perfectly timely uh, or a question about just to remind folks the name of your book. I assume, I know you said you've had two, so you yes. remind both of us about oh, both of them them. And, uh, where you, them and where to find you online and we'll, uh, we'll be able to wrap things up. Yes. Um, my first book, it's called Storytelling in the Digital Age. So it's on Amazon, um, Storytelling in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits. My second book uh, is a little bit longer title, but if you go to my, it's, it's called How to Build and Mobilize a Social Media Community for Your Nonprofit in 90 Days. That's a mouthful. But if you go to my website, um, jcsocialmarketing.com backslash books, um, or just look around my website, there's a whole page on the two books um, and links to Amazon and, and all of that. So that's probably the best, best place to go is my website. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much, uh, Julie. Yeah, it's been a you. very informative episode. Uh, I love the five building blocks. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about those. Uh, you've got your uh, media, social media conference in November, yes. and you're and great luck with your with your podcast. I'm looking forward to more episodes. That's nonprofit oh. nation. Nonprofit nation podcast. Yep. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. This was a nonprofit problem solver weekly live podcast on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, we will be back uh, next week, same time, Wednesday at 11 Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. My guest today was Julia Campbell, who you can find on LinkedIn and at her website, jcsocialmarketing.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com because good causes deserve better results.